Good morning, church. One of the things that I've enjoyed as long as I can remember is um, identifying a problem, putting together a, a plan to fix it, and then making it happen, executing it. Of course, I've learned also in 40 years of ministry that you have to be flexible and sometimes be willing to change, even sometimes change things on the fly. I remember a couple of years ago, we did our connection, uh, our last building project, the Connection Center. We had to make some big changes uh, to our plan. Uh, the first was when we went to take a vote uh, to move forward, and our superintendent announced a motion and failed because he thought it required a two-thirds vote. And when he finally admitted that he had made a mistake and certified the plan had actually passed, it, it, passed, it was, um, well, it was a PR nightmare. And I, I lost a lot of sleep through that. And then we had our capital campaign, and then we didn't reach our financial goal, and we had to scale things back, and I got a few more gray hairs uh, in that process. And the result was something even better than what we hoped for. Even those who didn't originally vote for it now love using our Connection Center. And it's hard to even imagine how we did things before we had it. Isn't it amazing how God can take our setbacks and use them for good? And I bet you have similar experiences that you can share. When you can look back and you can see plans that didn't work out the way you hoped they would. Maybe even from time to time you've had some disasters that happened. And yet now you're able to look back and to see how God got you through it. And of course, all of us have plans that, that totally fell apart. And sometimes those can be very disappointing. Sometimes they can be soul-crushing. Well, today we are in week three of our 31-week uh, series through um, the Bible. We're calling it the story. And it's a chronological story from, uh, of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. And the first uh, nine chapters of Genesis, we discovered God's original plan for creation but because of Adam and Eve, because they rejected God's plan, sin entered into the world. And God had to make some changes. And last week, we, we heard the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God chose them to be the parents of a, of a new nation that God would, would use to help fulfill his plan. And the miracle child, Isaac, was born to this older couple, and he grew up and married Rebekah, and they had twins, uh, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob married two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and along with their maidservants, uh, they had 12 sons and one daughter. Imagine what that must have been like for that woman. And that brings us to Genesis 37. And it's a story about a young man whose life takes an abrupt turn that he did not plan, and how through a series of unfortunate events, he almost loses his life. And his name is Joseph. And he is number 11 of 12 boys in the family. And he is his father's favorite and his brother's know it. Is there a favorite in your family? You know, it's unspoken, but everybody knows who it is. See a couple of heads nodding, yeah. Uh, my daughters would try to use that against me. They'd, 
my sister is your favorite. That's why you treat me this way. And I'd always say, yep, that's right. I love her more than you. Deal with it. But Jacob really did love Joseph more. And his brothers were so jealous they couldn't even speak to him. And then one day, uh, Jacob buys him an $11,000 Stanley Korshak cashmere handmade in Italy, three-piece suit. And his brothers go absolutely crazy. But it gets worse. God gives Joseph, or, uh, uh, Joseph a dream that someday he will rule over his brothers and parents. And wisdom would have told the boy to keep it to himself, but he cannot. And he shares his crazy dream with his family, and they are, well, they're not amused. In fact, the Bible says his brothers hated him. They hated him, and they hated his dream. And there was no way that he was ever going to rule over anybody, except maybe his other younger brother, Benjamin. If you've had a younger brother, you know how hard that would be. So because of his dream and because he was his father's favorite son and because he was somewhat of a tattletale, his brothers hatched a plot to get rid of him. They are out some miles away from home. They are taking care of their flock of sheep and they see him coming towards him and they, ha they, they, plot that, they, they hatch the plot. They say, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And Reuben, who is the firstborn, the eldest brother, and apparently the only one with a moral compass, says, let's, don't, let's throw him into the cistern, but let's, please, let's don't kill him. And they agree. They take off his expensive suit, they throw him into the cistern, and they sit down to have a sandwich. And then along come some traders heading to Egypt. And Judah says, hey, let's don't kill him. Let's make some money out of this. Let's sell him into slavery. And, and they do. For, for 20 shekels of silver, they sell him to some traders. And he is taken to Egypt. And he is sold as a household slave to a captain in Pharaoh's army named Potiphar. And they take Joseph's suit, they dip it into goat's blood, and they give it to their father and say, oops, looks like, looks like Joseph was eaten by some wild animals. I mean, talk about a rotten turn of events. Joseph's whole life seems to be coming apart. All of his plans have been dashed, disintegrating before his eyes. He's a, nothing but a slave, a servant with few rights or status. I mean, he's not ruling over anybody. And I would think it'd be very hard for him to give up and to get mad at God. Why, God? Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you crush my, my plans, my dream? God, it's not fair. But what we discover is that Joseph will not give up. In fact, the Bible says that Joseph worked hard he succeeded and was put in charge of his master's entire estate. And in chapter 39, verse 5, it says, The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had. Things were looking up. His can-do spirit was paying off. 
That is, until Potiphar's wife took a liking to the good-looking young man and tried to seduce him. But Joseph had too much character to give in to that. And enraged by his rejection, she lied about him to her husband, who has him thrown into prison. Again, it looks like failure. Every time he, he takes a step forward, he takes two steps backward. Life keeps throwing him lemons, but try as he might, he can't figure out how to make lemonade. But he holds on to his God-given dream, and he will not let go. And once again, he begins to rise to the top. In fact, the Bible tells him that the, the jail warden puts him in charge of, of running the jail, the prison. I mean, an inmate is, is in charge of jail. That's strange. But while he's in prison, he meets two high officials of Pharaoh's court who are there for bad behavior. And they promise to help him get out uh, if they get back into favor of the king. And one of them does and is released from jail. And could you imagine how excited that Joseph would be? I'm going to get to go home. Maybe I can, I can see my family once again. But it's not to be. The official forgets his promise to Joseph. And can you imagine what a blow that must have been? And for 10 years, 10 long years, Joseph sits in jail wondering if his dream that he had from God would ever come to realization. Well, to make a long story short, Pharaoh receives two disturbing dreams the first is about seven cows, fat and sleek, and, and then seven cows, ugly and lean. And then he has a second dream. It's kind of the same, but instead of cows, it's corn. And nobody can help Pharaoh understand the dreams and, until the official who had been a cellmate of, uh, of Joseph remembers that, that he had skill at interpreting dreams. And so he is brought out of prison and he interprets the meaning. It's a message from God, a warning. The seven fat cows and, and corn represent seven years of abundance, and, and the seven lean cows and corn represent seven years of famine. And as a result, Joseph is put in charge of, of getting Egypt ready for this bleak future, and, and he's elevated to one of the most powerful men in one of the most powerful nations of the day. He's 30 years old. It took 13 years for his dream to come true. And many times it must have seemed impossible to Joseph that it could ever happen. And I wonder if there are times when he would hit his fist against the prison door screaming, God, this is not fair. Why are your dreams for my life not coming true? Why have all my plans fallen apart? Well, seven years later, famine has spread to the whole region, and hard times hit Jacob and his family who are back in Canaan. They hear that there is, there is food to buy in Egypt, and so 10 of them pack up a caravan, and they head for Egypt. And when they arrive, they, they meet Joseph, but they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them. And chapter 42, verse 6 says this, so when Joseph's brothers arrive, they bow down to him with their faces to the ground. 
And at that moment, Joseph must have realized that the dream he had as a boy when he was only 17 had finally come true. His brothers were bowing down to him. All the times he felt utterly hopeless and frustrated and defeated. And now God had made it happen. Well, that's the story of Joseph. And I think in this story, there are some things that we can learn that will help us when we go through our difficult times in life. There may be some things that, that Joseph did that might be able to help us when life goes south. So let me share four things that I see in this story. And the first is this, is that Joseph kept God at the center. You know, it's interesting that nowhere do we see him blaming God for his bad circumstances. On the contrary, he seems to have this unusual trust and calmness in the midst of it all. Now, I have to admit that in my circumstances of life, I've been often tempted to blame God. Why, God? Why did you allow this to happen? But we don't see Joseph doing this. You see, he knew that God was with him, was blessing his life despite his imprisonment. And, and, and therefore, he had confidence and he had trust in God. He seemed to know that God had not left him, that God had not deserted him. Now, true, God had not spared him from problems. But God did strengthen him in his problems. Do you see the difference? Joseph wasn't particularly thankful for his circumstances, but he learned to be thankful in the midst of his circumstances. And so can we. I pastored a church for some five years. The church had been badly hurt by their previous pastor. As a result, they had some major trust issues. And when my superintendent called me up and, and told me this was going to be my next appointment, folks, I didn't want to go. You ever had times in your life you said, I don't want to go? That's the way I felt. And you put those two, two things together and you have this wonderful recipe for a disaster. And I tried. I tried to keep God at the center. I tried to work hard. I tried to do the things I, I needed to do to, to keep my relationship with God strong. But I'll tell you, there are many Sundays when I finished preaching and I said to God, I have no idea why I'm here. God, this doesn't make any sense to me. And finally, after years of, of hard work, we began to make a major, some major breakthroughs. The church started growing again. And we began to see God at work. Now, would I ever want to go through that again? Absolutely no. <laughs> I would not. But do we learn valuable things through those difficult times? Absolutely we do. Secondly, Joseph never gave up. He continued to work hard and to be a person of integrity and honesty. Whether he was a slave or whether he was a prime minister of all of Egypt, you know, there's a saying that, that goes, work as though you never prayed and pray as though you never work. You see, prayer and, and work combine to get us through our circumstances. Now, I have no doubt, no doubt that Joseph was, was homesick, that he was lonely and, and that he was frustrated and angry at the turn of events in his life. But he did not allow these things to, to devastate him, to immobilize him. Work and prayer sustained him. And they will sustain us. In Luke's gospel, chapter 11, Jesus tells a parable. 
He says, suppose you have a friend who comes to you in the middle of the night and says, hey, neighbor, how about lending me three loaves of bread? An old friend of mine has just arrived at my house, and, and I don't have anything to feed him. And then you call from, outside, from inside the house, go away, I've already locked my door, and I have all the kids in bed. I can't get up and let you have anything. And then Jesus says, I really believe that even though you won't get up and let him have the bread out of friendship for him, you will crawl out of bed and let him have whatever he needs if he keeps yelling and pounding on your door. <laughs> See, here's a great secret that Jesus teaches us. That God doesn't want us to give up. That God wants us to persevere in getting an answer to our problems that he wants us to pray our problems and, and never give up. In fact, what we learn is that God responds to our relentless prayer. And so Jesus teaches us that, that things like perseverance and, and determination and, and intensity are important qualities for us to develop as we go to, the, to, to God in prayer. God expects, God welcomes your intense praying for personal and family needs. And, and the kind of praying that he honors is persistent prayer. And so that might mean things like, like utter shamelessness in asking. It includes a concept of, of great boldness, of urgency, of pressing your request, your claim, or your demand to the very limit of not giving up. Now, one of the mistakes that we can make from Jesus' uh, parable here is that God is like the reluctant friend, uh, friend in bed, that God really doesn't want to give us what we ask for. But that's not the point of the story. What Jesus is teaching is that we must be willing not to give up. Joseph would not give up. And then thirdly, Joseph did not allow his circumstances to embitter him. And I've noticed that, that when bad things happen, one of two responses may occur, and I'm sure you've noticed it too, that we either become the better for it or we become bitter. Either we become more mature, more faithful, more trusting, and more loving, or we allow it to destroy us. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist in Vienna during World War II. He was arrested and sent to Auschwitz by the Nazis. And in camp, everything was stripped away, clothes, personal belongings, even his wedding ring. They were starved, they were frozen, they were beaten to death, and they were finally gassed. Fear of dying was an everyday occurrence. But Frankel began to observe that the one thing that their captors could not take away was their freedom to choose how they would respond to their suffering. And he observed that, that some rose to new spiritual heights, compassion, sacrifice, and even martyrdom. But he also noticed that others chose to go to a different direction. They treated other people with contempt and with greed. You see, it was a, a testing of the core of, of who they were. And what I've discovered and what I'm sure most of you have discovered is our circumstances will test us. The life will test us. And even though many times our choices will be stripped away, 
we always have the choice of how we're going to respond to those events. And then lastly, we see Joseph trusted in God's plan for his life. That Joseph was able to see purpose in it all. That he knew that God had the big picture in mind. And so after all that happened to him, he was able to say to his brothers, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Isn't that amazing? Joseph was able to look past his own personal tragedy and to see the good that would come out of it. You see, in the Bible, there are often two storylines that are taking place. There's the upper story, and then there's the lower story. And the upper story is, is God's story, where, where God is fulfilling his purposes for, for humanity. And then there's the, the lower story, which is, which is filled with our human complexities and, and details. But what God is doing is he's calling you and I to, to capture the upper story and to see the effects upon our lives. And this is what Joseph manages to do. Can you see God at work in the midst of the details of your life? Can you see God accomplishing his, his purposes for you? You see, knowing that God's storyline is unfolding even in our bleak and even in our confusing times. Can we begin to trust God in, in, that, that God's purposes is being worked out in your life? That no matter what may be happening to you, the, the good or, or, or the bad or, or the ugly, that God's purposes are being worked out. And, and not only in, in, in my life, but also in your life. And, and not only in our lives, but in our community and, and in our nation. I would say even in our world. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look out at our world and I think, man, it's nothing but total chaos. It makes no sense. We look around for, for answers and we think, why is all this happening? It seems to defy logic and reason. I think these are the most difficult situations to handle. Unless you begin to see a, a purpose behind your problem, and that gives you enormous confidence it gives you enormous power to handle. And so Paul would, would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, these powerful words. He says, For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. You see, what Paul is saying is, is that God is working in your life and that God has power even to use bad things in your life, to use them for good. And so God is doing good things in my, in my life, even when the situation is bad, even when I don't feel it, even when it makes no sense, even when I have no understanding. God's at work. Now, I want you to notice what it does not say. It doesn't say that all things work out the way that I want them to. It, it doesn't say that all things have a happy ending on earth. I mean, yeah, Joseph's story ends well. It, it has a happy ending. But reality teaches us that not everyone who is sick gets well. Not every couple that gets married lives happily ever after. And not every problem is resolved the way we want it to be resolved. Now, sometimes we are tempted to jump to the conclusion that since God knows all things, that God must cause all things. 
But my friends, God is not responsible for all the evil that happens on earth. To attribute those things to God is to turn God into some kind of capricious monster. A lot of evil is caused by people, but never by God. So what it does mean that God can use anything in your life for good, that God can redeem all of life, that our failures, our tragedies, our illnesses, our sorrow, our pain, even our bad decisions, that God can use them all to weave together this tapestry of your life. God uses all of Joseph's misfortunes to provide food, not only for his parents and 11 brothers, but for the entire nation of Egypt. God was working out a plan, and he's working out a plan for your life as well. That in all the rough times in life, God is at work in our lives. God is giving meaning to our tears. He doesn't cause the tears but he does use them for our benefit. You see, I've come to the place in my life where I think even unfair situations are sometimes necessary for my spiritual growth, and that's why I choose not to give up. See, the truth is that difficulties play an important part in us like nothing else can. And it's the same in our relationship with God, that as we struggle, we begin to discover our true selves. We begin to understand our strengths and our weaknesses. And then we begin to yield to the Holy Spirit to work in us and to work through us. So let's refuse to give up. Let's be bold to grab hold of God's strength. Let's be courageous to prevail in, in spite of what appears to be an unfair life. Let's look for what God wants to do in us and through us, even in our difficult times. Let's pray. God, what an incredible story of a young man who went through the, the worst of life's circumstances but would not give up. A young man who trusted in you despite all of his setbacks. God, we pray that we would learn some of the lessons that Joseph learned. Teach us, God, how to depend upon you in our times of failure, in our times of grief and loneliness. Teach us, God, that you're in control of this universe. And we'll give you thanks through Christ our Lord. Amen.